You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. As a nation, we have an important question to answer. How much do we really know our own heritage? Was America founded by a group of old white men? Or has our story always been diverse? Were we able to deal with the injustices of our past through malice and vengeance? Or did we strive towards a higher ideal? Was the United States founded upon oppression and injustice, advancing one people at the expense of another? Or did the founders actually mean what they said when they wrote that all men are created equal? Most importantly, will we continue to build a nation on a false narrative? Or is it finally time that we realize that the story of America is the story of all of us? As time has passed, America has faced many trials and hardships over the years. We have constantly strived to overcome our faults and failures. It is that effort to overcome that defines us, not the mistakes that we have made. Our heritage is one of an expansive liberty, not a crushing oppression. These are the stories of those who fulfilled the promise of America. Their legacy is our heritage. The only question is, will we live up to it? For decades in schools across America, children have been taught at some point that the Founding Fathers were a group of privileged white men, many of whom owned slaves. Furthermore, because of many of their conflicting interests in slavery, this evil institution could not formally meet its end until the 1860s, many decades after several other countries had already abolished it outright. This characterization isn't entirely wrong, especially depending on how a founding father is classified. If we are talking about the individuals who either signed the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution, then it is of course true that they were a group of white men. Yet upon further examination, this is a rather weak and shallow definition of what makes someone a founding father. Thomas Paine, the author of smashing sensations like Common Sense and the American Crisis, is widely regarded as a vital founding father, yet he never signed any of our founding documents. Paul Revere, the famed midnight writer at the outset of the American Revolution, is widely regarded as a founding father who played one of the most crucial roles in the forming of this nation. Yet he, like Payne, did not put his signature on either document. It doesn't take much reasoning before realizing that this definition of what makes a founding father is shallow and flawed at best. 
In fact, this definition is not only a weak threshold, it excludes some of the greatest champions of freedom, both male and female, from our history and from our memory. Founding fathers were people who made significant contributions to the idea of America at the outset. The spirit and consciousness that guided us for almost 250 years. Understanding this allows us to see that the Founding Fathers were not merely a group of white men. In fact, some of them were not Founding Fathers at all, but rather Founding Mothers. One founder did more than anyone else to set America toward a path of total emancipation. In fact, not only was this remarkable person a woman, she was also a slave herself. Through her stunning intellect and conviction in the belief that all people are created equal, she won her freedom, both for herself and for all others. This is the story about Mum Bet, the slave who took her master to court. In the mid-1740s, an infant slave girl was born in Columbiana County, New York. With how poorly records were kept at this time, especially for slaves, her exact birthday is unknown. But Mum Bet was believed to enter the world in the year 1744. Mum's life began extremely ordinary for slaves in the 18th century. Although her circumstances were better than most others like her, simply due to the fact that she was born in the North rather than the South, the realities of slavery were still cruel and harsh. She and her sister Lizzie grew up on the plantation of Peter Hodgeboom until his daughter married Colonel John Ashley. As a gift to the newly wedded couple, Peter gave Mum and her sister Lizzie to work as slaves for both of them. John Ashley was a wealthy citizen of Massachusetts society. He lived in Sheffield, Massachusetts, and served as a judge of the Berkshire Court of Common Pleas. He was also a budding patriot. In 1773, Colonel Ashley presided over a committee that would go on to form the Sheffield Declaration. This declaration would proclaim that, quote, mankind in a state of nature are equal, free, and independent of each other, and have a right to the undisturbed enjoyment of their lives, their liberty, and property. Having served in the French and Indian War, he, like many of his contemporaries, was none too pleased with the increasing rate of British taxation and oppressive measures. The colonists had already been asked to give up their lives during the war. Now they were expected to foot the bill as well. All the talk of freedom and independence wasn't extended to Mumbet or her sister, however. While John Ashley was kind and patient enough with Bet, the same could not be said of his wife. Hannah Ashley was a notoriously cruel and vile woman. Everyone across town was aware of the sharp contrast in demeanor between her and her husband. Whereas John was calm, level-headed, and kind, Mrs. Ashley was almost spiteful. She lashed out several times against her slaves. She also harbored a strong hatred toward any young woman seeking her husband's help. In one instance, a young woman, no more than a child, traveled to Ashley's home alone seeking legal counsel. When she arrived, John was not there, but Mum Bet was. She informed the young girl that her master was not home, but he should be arriving before nightfall. Upon learning this, the girl insisted that she stay until he returned. Mumbat was not educated, but she had an impeccable sense of right and wrong, and an ironclad will about her. She also had remarkably sharp instincts. 
The little girl would not tell her the problem, but Mum could tell it was important enough to have her remain in the house until John Ashley remained. But as soon as the girl settled in to wait for the colonel to return, they heard a commotion. Aggressive stomping marched closer and closer. Mrs. Hannah Ashley stormed into the room and demanded the girl leave at once. Bette noted that Mrs. Ashley's eyes were, quote, flashing like a cat's in the dark. Her rage could not go unnoticed. Mum Bette resented her bondage. She once remarked that, quote, any time while I was a slave, if one minute's freedom had been offered to me, and I had been told I must die at the end of that minute, I would have taken it. Just to stand one minute on God's green earth as a free woman, I would. Yet, her condition never prevented her from doing what was right. As Mrs. Ashley demanded the young woman leave, Mumbet stood her ground. She ran to the child to comfort her from Mrs. Ashley's vulgar rage. Then, when Mrs. Ashley definitively declared, she shall go, Mumbet defiantly declared back, no, she shan't. As to not merely seem insubordinate, Bette continued to argue that if the girl has a complaint to make, she has a right to see a judge. That's lawful, and stands to reason besides. Of course, she was right, and Mrs. Ashley could not argue with that. She knew when Mum Bette was not going to let her foot up after it had been put down. It didn't stop her from trying to get in the last word, but she did leave, and the girl remained until John Ashley returned. Mum Bette may not have been a lawyer by any stretch of the imagination, but she had an undeniable common sense about her. Her understanding of logic was impeccable for a woman in her condition with no formal education. She knew that in a just society, everyone must have the right to seek legal counsel and be offered equal protection under the law, no matter how young. This would go on to help shape Mum Bette's understanding of equal rights later on in life. But for now, it ensured that this little girl would get the justice that she deserved. And she certainly deserved it. After John Ashley arrived, the little girl proceeded to detail a horrific case of sexual abuse by her father. She waited so long for John Ashley to return because heading back home could put her in danger. As she worked up the courage to go into detail about the case, Mum Bette stood by her the entire time. She gave her story. Her father was eventually arrested, tried, and sentenced to death for unspeakable crimes. The little girl only managed to receive some measure of justice because Mum Bette just happened to be in the house when she sought Colonel Ashley's help. This would be far from the last time that Mum Bette's unwavering sense of justice would prevail. As revolution neared in the American colonies, John Ashley increasingly came at the center of rebel activities in Massachusetts. In the early 1770s, he would invite over friends and associates to his home for dinner. Afterward, they would stay and gather around the fireplace discussing what should be done about British oppression. Things were still incredibly tense in those days, so they had to be careful. If the wrong person overheard them, they could be accused of treason. Little did they know someone was overhearing them, but it was not a loyalist sympathizer. Rather, it was Mum Bette. At these meetings and dinner parties, the company would gather around and talk about their rights as English citizens. Of course, Bette didn't chime in to the conversation, but she wouldn't easily forget what she overheard. As she and Lizzie prepared refreshments, they quietly approached the room where they were meeting. The closer they got, the men's words became more clear. 
She overheard them reading some declaration stating that Great Britain has deprived them of, quote, those invaluable rights and privileges that they were entitled to. At this point, Bette knocked on the door and the room hushed. John Ashley had given the command to enter. Mum, Bette, and Lizzie came in with a platter and a sigh of relief was excelled. Colonel Ashley signaled for them to come in and pass out refreshments to those in attendance. Bet noted many familiar faces, 11 in total. One man paused as Bet was distributing his share to look her in the eye and thank her. This must have been a bit odd for her. Slaves were not often shown gratitude. As it turned out, this young man, Theodore Sedwick, was the man that was reading the declaration that she overheard. As they finished, Bet and Lizzie collected their trays and shut the door behind them so that the men could continue their meeting. Sedwick continued where he left off reading the document. Instead of returning to their quarters, however, Bet stopped Lizzie to allow them to eavesdrop just a little bit. They listened as Sedwick boomed that, quote, mankind in a state of nature are equal, free, and independent of each other, and have a right to the undisturbed enjoyment of their lives, their liberty, and property. It was the Sheffield Declaration that she was listening to. Resolved, Sedwick continued, that the great ends of political society are to secure in a more effectual manner those rights and privileges wherewith God and nature had made us free. These words resonated deeply with Bet. This was exactly what she knew in her heart to be true, but didn't understand how to put it into words. While Mum Bet was not exactly the first person these men had in mind when writing these words down, it nonetheless helped to alter her life course. For now, however, they would only serve as an inspiration for her to wake up each day, strive towards a greater purpose. She didn't know how or when, but she resolved that one day she would be free. The Sheffield Declaration was approved in 1773. In less than three years, the colonies would engage in an open state of rebellion against the crown. Shot heard round the world rang out in Lexington and Concord on the other end of the Massachusetts colony. John and Samuel Adams went back down to Philadelphia to participate in the Second Continental Congress. By that summer, in 1775, Congress organized a Continental Army with George Washington at the helm. By the following summer, Thomas Jefferson penned the Declaration of Independence, parts of which echoed the Sheffield Declaration in January of 1773. Within a few short years of Mumbet's overhearing of the talk of liberty and equality, America had formally become a free and independent nation. Free, that is, for select individuals. Nothing was for certain until the United States won the revolution. Still, the promise of freedom after victory did not yet extend to all black Americans like Mumbet. Slavery still existed throughout all the colonies at this time, not just in the South. For Mumbet in Massachusetts, nothing yet had changed. Soon, however, that would no longer be the case. At the turn of the decade, Massachusetts was in the process of approving another document filled with language of liberty, the Constitution of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. John Adams himself had drafted the document, and it was approved in 1780. A copy was rushed out to Colonel Ashley, and once again, his house was full of chatter about independence and liberty. The Constitution immediately declared the equal rights of mankind. 
Article 1. All men are born free and equal, and have certain natural, essential, and unalienable rights, among which may be reckoned the right of enjoying and defending their lives and liberties, that of acquiring, possessing, and protecting property, and fine that of seeking and obtaining their safety and happiness. Clearly, much inspiration was taken from John Adams' good friend, Thomas Jefferson. The parallels of the Declaration of Independence are unmistakable. It was here that Ashley looked up and noticed Mumbet standing in the doorway, quietly yet attentively listening. Colonel likely assumed that she was waiting for instructions, so he had her grab some more wine for himself and for his guests. This may have been the case, but it is unmistakable that she was also taking in every word. It could hardly have been lost upon the sharp and observant bet that freedom and equality are now the law of the land in Massachusetts. This spark in Bet's mind would soon forever change the trajectory of the country. But for the time being, Mumbet had more immediate concerns. Hannah Ashley, John's wife, still managed to terrorize the slaves of the Ashley household. One day, Lizzie had scrapped some leftover wheat cakes from the oven because the fire wasn't cooperating with the lunch that they were preparing. Since they weren't going to serve their masters a bad lunch, she thought that she could eat the scraps. After several long and hard hours of labor, it would make sense that she had worked up an appetite. Before she could do so, however, she was startled. Thief! screamed Mrs. Ashley. Neither Mumbet nor Lizzie had noticed her standing in the doorway, but now it was too late. She went into a rage like a bull seen red. She accused the slave girl of trying to steal the food from her family and grabbed the coal shovel as she charged towards her, red hot beaming from the oven. Mumbet sprung into action and flung herself in front of Lizzie, taking a brutal blow to her arm that would have otherwise gone to her sister. The pain was immense, but Bet didn't scream. Nobody wanted to escalate the conflict any further, except for maybe Mrs. Ashley. She threw the shovel aside and stormed off. Mumbet may have silently bore the pain in that instance, but this was her final straw. She was not going to live like this anymore. It was time for her to take her freedom for herself. After receiving a harsh lashing from Mrs. Ashley, Mum Bet resolved to end her bondage. She was not going to tolerate this humiliation anymore, so she picked herself up and simply walked away from the Ashley home for good. She did not stop walking until she reached the law office of Theodore Sedwig, the young man she had observed reading the Sheffield Declaration so many years ago. Now he was a very well-respected attorney in the area. But it was unlikely that anything could have prepared him for the case he was about to embark on. Bet knocked on his door, and she was brought to Sedwig. The two once again made acquaintance with each other, and then she wasted no time. 
I've come to see if I can claim my liberty under the law, proclaimed Bet. Sedwig was taken aback, also intrigued. He asked her where she came up with such an idea. She explained that throughout the revolution, she's heard nothing but talk about how people are born with rights given by God, including the right to be free. She explained that the logical conclusion to the argument would be that slaves are also included in that right. Sedwick pried further, confessing that she had a sound argument, but was curious where she learned so much. She told him that she taught herself, and learned by keeping quiet and listening to conversations around the dinner table at the Ashley House. Theodore Sedwig was already blown away by her sharp wit and sound intellect. Although he was John Ashley's friend, he quickly realized that this case could be much bigger than any one of them. After pausing for a moment, Theodore Sedwig looked up at Mombette and agreed to take on her case. She was officially suing for her freedom. This, of course, was no small task. It may have been Massachusetts, but Mumbet was still a slave, and a female slave at that. Even within the institution of slavery, men carried more weight than women did. This was going to be the fight of her life. Sedwig was all too aware of this unprecedented challenge that he faced, so he immediately started to stack the deck in his favor. In addition to Mumbet, Sedwick had a male slave from the Ashley family named Brahm, also attached to the lawsuit. Doing this increased the likelihood of their success, but nothing was certain just yet. Colonel Ashley was not going to sit idly by while his reputation was at stake. An attorney himself, he held nothing back, finding the best lawyers. The case started off well for Bet and Brahm. Sedwick and Tapping Reeve, another attorney helping on the case, petitioned the court that the Ashleys should relinquish ownership of Bet and Brom. The court agreed with the petition, but the Ashleys refused, claiming to their right of servitude. In other words, the right to own another person in bondage. This brought the case to trial in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. It is important to note that Sedwig had every rational reason not to take on Mumbet's case. Of course, he and John Ashley were friends, and taking on his slave as a client had a potential to ruin their friendship. This must have crossed the mind of Sedwig at least once or twice, but nonetheless, he pushed forward. Another major internal conflict that he had was the fact that he was a slave owner himself. Records show that he owned at least one slave early in his life, it is unlikely that this fact was lost upon him. Instead of justifying his prior status as a slave owner, however, Sedwick was now atoning for it by working on the possibility that all people could be free. As the trial began, Sedwick and Reeve argued that, quote, no antecedent law had established slavery. But in any event, even if such laws did indeed exist, they were, quote, annulled by the new constitution of Massachusetts. This was the crucial argument. The Constitution of Massachusetts was the new law of the land, and while it didn't outright declare slavery abolished, it did declare that everyone was born equal, free, and independent. Such a claim could not be true if slavery were permitted to exist. Sedwick and Reeve must have realized that arguing against Ashley's claim to Bet and Brom under the right of service was a futile effort, and they likely would have lost if that were the direction that they went. By arguing on constitutional grounds, their case was strong enough to convince the jury to agree with them. They won. 
After deliberating, the jury announced that, quote, the aforesaid Brom and Bet are not and were not at the time of the purchase of the original writ of legal Negro servants of him, the said John Ashley, during their life. Not only that, but John Ashley was ordered to pay back Bet and Brom 30 shillings in damages. At first, John Ashley appealed the decision, attempting to take it to the state Supreme Court, but he later dropped it. He was likely advised of the inevitable outcome that the court would uphold, not overturn, the decision on Bet's case. Since Ashley backed down, Mumbeck could finally take in what had just happened. No longer would she live in bondage. From that point on, she was forever a free woman. Mumbet was jubilant. After securing her freedom, Sedwick asked her what she wanted to do with the payment of damages that she had just received, to which she replied, pay the lawyers handsomely. She was overwhelmed with emotion and joy. This was a day that she never imagined would come, but her case was so much bigger than just herself. Since it was argued on constitutional grounds, it meant that slavery was no longer permitted in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, making it the first state to unconditionally ban slavery in 1781. Vermont may have done so in 1777, but this was not yet part of the Union. Additionally, Pennsylvania approved a gradual ban on slavery in 1780, but that took time. By the 1790 census, Massachusetts was the only state not to report any slave population within its borders. It seems appropriate that the land of Pilgrim's Pride and the cradle of the Revolution would also take the first steps to outlaw the practice of slavery in the new nation. Now that Bette was a free woman, she had many choices to make, the first among them being whether or not to change her name. While Mum Bette knew nothing but a life of bondage and suffering, she was determined to start anew. After securing her freedom, one of the first free choices that she made was to change her name to Elizabeth Freeman very fitting under the circumstances. After Elizabeth Friedman started her new life of liberty, she sought employment. Additionally, she was eternally grateful to Theodore Sedwick. And given the fact that she needed to make money as a free woman now, she offered to be Sedwick's domestic servant. Obviously, since she lived her whole life as a slave, she had limited skills to employ her. Living as a free servant allowed her to stick to what she knew while getting paid and maintaining her dignity at the same time. As a servant in the house, she became almost like a member of the Sedwicks family. The children loved to be around Elizabeth Freeman, and the feeling was mutual. Sedwick's daughter called Freeman a pillar of the household after being hired. She helped defend the house from marauders during Shay's Rebellion, and one of Sedwick's sons noted that she was as familiar to him as I knew either of my parents. Elizabeth Freeman truly made the most out of her freedom. She lived an honorable life and saved up enough money until she was able to purchase a home of her own. The young mum bet overhearing talk about freedom and equality as she lived in bondage in the Ashley house, looking over her back to keep an eye out for the terror of Mrs. Ashley, never could have imagined that not only would she be free one day, but save up enough money to purchase a home of her own. This was a moment of immense pride for Elizabeth Freeman, but she never allowed herself to forget the blessings that she had been given. After retiring in her own home, paid with her own free dollars, Elizabeth Freeman finally passed away on December 28, 1829. 
she never got to live in America totally removed from the sin of slavery. 35 years after her death, however, after five years of a brutal and bloody war, Congress passed the 13th Amendment on January 31st, 1865. In it, it declared that, quote, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as punishment for crime, whereof the party shall be duly convicted, shall exist within the United States, or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Despite not living long enough to see it happen, the path that Mum Bet set the country down finally paid off. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to yet another edition of Profiles in Liberty. I must say that despite this being one of the shorter episodes that we have done, uh, it is one of my absolute favorite stories, and it is one story that I think showcases what this country was all about from the very beginning. A lot of people point to the progress we make as uh, in contrast to those founding values, but I, I think this story properly highlights just how much those founding values uh, were meant to provoke that progress from the outset. And Mumbet is somebody who may be well-known regionally in places like Massachusetts, but she is really someone who deserves to be known as a founder of this country. She is the reason why the spark of abolition began in this country. Next week, we're going to shift gears just slightly, uh, and we are going to be going over one of the most famous uh, and most popular founding mothers in U.S. history, that being of Abigail Adams. Abigail is one of my favorite women in history, and she is going to make for a fantastic episode, so please be sure to tune in next week for that. Please be sure that if you want to see the program grow and expand as much as possible, if you want to share these stories, please be sure to share this episode and all episodes of Profiles in Liberty. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Caleb Franz. You can also follow the network on Twitter, at we, the letter R, Libertarians. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. This has been Caleb Franz with Profiles in Liberty.